Well, um, this morning we are, we're continuing our, our Easter series only a couple of weeks away from Easter now, which is kind of crazy how quickly the year is racing on by, right? But uh, it's a wonderful privilege to have Jennifer Wilkinson with us this morning to come and share the word with us. Jennifer um, sits on our eldership across our three campuses, City, Burnside, and Belfast. Uh, I don't know, I haven't got a clue how many years you've been on the eldership, Jennifer. It's, uh, we've run out of toes and fingers. Yeah, she doesn't even know. But Jennifer is just incredible. She, um, her and her husband David, they um, were pastors in their own right. They've been a part of Elam here in New Zealand um, for a long, long time. Um, they've been great friends for Bron and I for many years and great mentors and support and encouragement. Uh, Jennifer's background is also in, in counselling. She's a trained counsellor, professional counsellor for many years. And uh, she's just an incredible blessing to us as a church. So uh, she's going to share the next instalment of our Encounter Easter series today. So why don't you put your hands together for Jen as she just comes. And I will hand you on over to the wonderful Jennifer Milkinson. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> Thank you for having us. We're so um, happy to be here with you today um, as we talk about this amazing story of Jesus going to the cross to die for us. Um, we're part way through our 21 days of prayer, if you're doing that with the rest of Elam throughout New Zealand. And we can do that because we're God's children. And prayer is just us and God having conversations. So if you haven't picked that up, um, you know, uh, have a wee look at it. It's, there's some lovely thoughts around um, the book of Ephesians and just some really good things coming out of that I've found for me personally. Um, I think prayer is one of the major themes throughout the Bible because we're children of God and in the Bible there's so many stories recorded of God and people having conversations and that's what a relationship really is all about and that ability to do that that demonstrates how much God wants to communicate with us how much he wants to be in relationship with us that he's not far away he's not distant he's not out there somewhere he's close and he wants us to know that closeness with him. So one of my favourite verses about prayer is from Jeremiah, and you probably know Jeremiah 33, verse 3, and it says this, God said to Jeremiah when he was in quite a discouraged place, and so God came to him and said, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. And I believe God still says that to us right now in our day, wherever you are, whatever's going on for you, God says, call to me and I will answer you. Call to me is an invitation to pray. It's an invitation to talk to God. You don't have to shout. You know, if you call to someone, you think of, of shouting to them so that they'll hear you. Well, God can hear even a whisper. So that, that call is just communicate with me. Talk to me. Tell me something. I will answer you as a promise that you'll be heard. And there's nothing like knowing that if you call, God will hear you. And I will answer you is 
I will answer you as a promise you'll be heard. I've just said that. To be shown great and mighty things is to receive revelation. And that is the most exciting thing, that that's hearing back from God, hearing his answer, is God revealing things to us when we choose to talk to him. And sometimes that revelation doesn't come quickly. Sometimes it comes over a period of time. But there are times, because that sometimes comes over a period of time, there's times sometimes when we pray and we're not sure if we're heard and we're not sure if God's going to answer. And if you get disappointed about that, we can sometimes get a bit demanding and we can get a bit telling God that he needs to prove to us that he's heard and that he needs to show that he answers. He needs to give us what we're asking for so that we know that he cares. And that can sometimes take us to the point of actually missing the answer. The answer might already be there, but sometimes we can miss it. And I know that because I, I learned we lesson about that some years ago when I was praying something from a wrong perspective, but I didn't realise that straight away. I had a bit of a health issue and I was advised that surgery would fix that problem, but I wasn't willing at that time to have that surgery. So I had some reasons of my own that I'd made up in my own head about all things medical and I wasn't going to do that. And some of those reasons were based on lies that I decided to believe. And, but I wasn't going to tell anybody that. So what I did was I was on every prayer line for healing and people agreed with me. That I knew that God could heal me and I was asking him that he would heal me. And, but obviously... I wasn't prepared to discuss my real issues with anyone. So obviously I had a pride issue as well as a physical problem, which is not good. And so I continued to be quite miserable really for quite a long time, expecting that if I kept on praying that God would eventually answer me and miraculously heal me. Now I knew he could because I'd already had experience of that, but it didn't happen. And it took me quite a long time to realise that I was praying the wrong thing. I was praying, all my prayers were about avoiding something. They were about avoiding something I didn't want to do. And avoiding dealing with my stuff. Avoiding just hoping God would wave as we want and all would be well. And the things that I didn't want to share with anyone I wouldn't have to disclose. Uh, which was actually quite a big mistake, really, and took a bit of humbling to actually come to the point where I was willing to talk about my pride and the fears that I had and what was going on for me. Because hiding that just achieved nothing and I just went on being miserable physically and miserable in my heart and soul. So when I was finally willing and humble enough to accept the help that I needed for the things that weren't physical, that opened the door for me and I became willing to have the surgery. That was available to me all the way, all along. I could have had that right at the beginning. 
and that did actually solve my, my physical problem. I was completely healed by that. But God did so much more for me because in humbling myself and sharing my stuff, God healed some other things that were not physical. And it was the most wonderful, wonderful outcome. I was so grateful and, and I was a bit regretful that it had taken me so long to actually realise God wants to do so much more than what we're asking for. In whatever, you know, whatever season of life, whatever situation that you're praying about and asking God to do something, don't give up on that because God actually wants to do so much more. God did so much more for me than what I was asking for. In the story of Jesus' crucifixion, there's a description of people asking Jesus to do something and getting no answer because he had so much more that he was going to do than what they were asking, in fact, what they were demanding. In those last agonising hours before Jesus died on the cross, he had a conversation with one of the two criminals that was sentenced to death by crucifixion along with him. Jesus was the man in the middle. He was always the man in the middle. He always is the man in the middle. He's the man in the middle between God and us. He's the mediator. In fact, Jesus took the place of another man called Barabbas. He took the place of a woman called Jennifer. He took the place of a man called David. He took the place of a woman called whatever your name is and a man called whatever you're called. He took the place of children who you named whatever you named them. He took our place. Let's read Matthew 27, verses 37 to 44, and this just pictures the scene for us. It says, A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, I think Jesus had heard that before, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. <coughs> so he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him, now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. We usually watch the Passion of the, Cro Passion of the Cross or the Christ at um, Easter time. I just couldn't watch it the other day because I just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry all the way through. It, because, you know, we read about it, but I think that if I was there, I, I don't know if I could have coped with the whole scene. I really don't. 
So all these people, the leading priests, the teachers of the law, the elders and the two criminals, everyone was yelling at him. It wasn't a quiet scene. They were all yelling and demanding the same thing, that Jesus prove he was the Messiah by getting down from the cross and saving his own life. And the soldiers also added to the mocking. But Jesus had this amazing response in the midst of all of this. His response was to pray this incredible prayer. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus had so much more for them than what they were asking. They didn't believe that he was who he was. And so they didn't know what they were doing in crucifying him. But neither did they know what they were doing in asking him to get down from the cross. Because he had no intention of saving his own life. He hadn't come to save his own life. He wasn't there to save his own life. And this prayer of forgiveness is quite amazing. If you've ever been hurt by somebody's words or actions, if you've ever been falsely accused and nobody's ever said they're sorry, you'll know what it's like inside to wrestle with that whole need to forgive, to let something go even before there's any apology or if there's never any apology of any kind. That is incredible. That is a, a big wrestle with your emotions. But Jesus' prayer shows us that there is a miracle of grace that he had for people. And we can actually have that miracle of grace because if we don't, we hang on to our stuff. It just eats away on the inside. And Jesus, he didn't want that. He, in his miraculous grace that he was able to offer people. It's like him saying, you know, we can do something about that. The kind of grace that doesn't demand an apology before being willing to forgive is a great miracle. But God can give us that grace. And there's times when we need that grace. You know, all of us have hurt times. All of us have hurt feelings. All of us go through stuff that um, we wish hadn't been said or hadn't been done. And we carry that unless we're able to have that same grace. And only Jesus can give it to us, but he can and he does and he will. But not only that... But that prayer had the most wonderful, immediate outcome. In Luke 23, verses 39 to 43, there's this this next part of the story, and it says this. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself, and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God, even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our sins, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me 
in paradise. So possibly egged on by the crowd, one of those men wanted Jesus to prove he was the Messiah by somehow making it possible for the three of them to get down from their crosses and escape death. And I I don't really think it's hard to identify with that request. It was a desperate situation. It must have been absolutely dreadful. And who wouldn't want to get out of that situation? It was a challenge to Jesus, not just to prove who he was, but that he actually cared about them. So before I judge that man for his unbelief, I have to think to myself, have I ever prayed? Yes, I've just told you my wee testimony, an avoidance prayer. That was an avoidance request. So sadly, I have prayed in that in a similar way, not in such a dreadful situation, but I have. But Jesus did not reply to that man. He could not answer that request. He could not tell him that he would do that. He did not say that he would do what the man was asking because he knew that saving his own life would not have accomplished his mission of love in dying for the sins of the world. He actually had much more to give that man than doing what the man asked. But the other man, I think he must have been impacted because by Jesus' prayer of forgiveness because something changed for him. He, something must have been happening in his heart because he changed from mocking and wanting the same thing to acknowledging his sin. He acknowledged that he deserved the death penalty for the sins that he'd committed. And his desperate prayer was that Jesus would remember him when he entered into his kingdom. He wasn't asking to get down. He wasn't asking to avoid anything. He was just saying, Jesus, remember me. And that, I think that was a revelation that Jesus was going to a kingdom because the sign said that he was king. I think he must have had a revelation about that. Jesus is going somewhere. He's a king. I need to get into this kingdom that he's going to. And that was a prayer that Jesus responded to. I don't even know how they managed to have a conversation at such a time. The three of them must have been in terrible agony. So how they ever had this conversation is quite miraculous. But that man was saved the only way that anyone can be saved, by his confession of his sin and by the little bit of faith that he had at that time that Jesus might respond. He didn't know if Jesus would answer him. He hadn't answered the other man. But he asked him anyway. And so it was his confession and his trusting in Jesus to respond, plus nothing else. Trusting in Jesus was all he could do. He had no opportunity to redeem his past life. He had no opportunity to get baptised in water or receive the Holy Spirit and speak with tongues. He had no chance of joining a church or going to a small group or doing any of the, the wonderful things that we can do because we are saved and we're not at death's door. 
He had, he had no way of doing anything else except asking Jesus if he could be with him in his kingdom and acknowledging that he deserved to die for his sin. He was already a despised person. So he was rejected by society already for his crimes. And I don't honestly know if people would have accepted him if Jesus had got him down off the cross. I think he would have always been, people would have been suspicious of him. And I don't know that it would have worked for Jesus to avoid that moment that was coming to him very quickly. But he was immediately accepted by Jesus. As soon as he asked Jesus, he was immediately accepted by Jesus. Sin's a problem, and it causes problems. But Jesus does offer forgiveness to anyone who's willing to be humble enough to admit that they've sinned and need a saviour. See, when I was praying something that I wanted to have happen and pride prevented me from acknowledging some other really important stuff that Jesus wanted to change for me, that, that pride is often what stops us calling out to Jesus, what stops us calling out to him not just for salvation but sometimes for other things in our lives as well. Jesus is the only one who can save us. And isn't it amazing how wonderful that right at the time that Jesus was dying on the cross to bring salvation to the world, a man got saved. How incredible is that? Here's a man in agony in his last, because of his, because of his wrong deeds, suffering this dreadful death penalty, which he acknowledged he deserved, but he gets saved. Just as Jesus was dying on the cross to accomplish that very thing. How incredible is that? Must have been a huge amount of rejoicing in heaven. And then Jesus gave the man a wonderful promise, which is also for everyone who repents of sin. Jesus said to him, you will be with me. And that's for every single one of us that responds to Jesus and says, I need you, I need you to forgive me, I need you to come into my life. Jesus says that same thing, you will be with me. And sometimes when people first come to the Lord, they're not sure about that promise because Jesus was saying, you will be with me and that the promise of eternal life because he said also there was going to be a place for them to go to and you know some people don't believe that they believe that when we die there's nothing but that's not what the Bible says the Bible says there is a place for us to go to for those who come to God through trusting Jesus to save them there's a place where there will be life for us forever and ever. That is the most amazing, what an amazing time, this little snippet of something that happened on the cross where Jesus was coming to bring all of these things to, to the world's notice, really. And this man noticed 
Maybe not everyone noticed. Later on, some people noticed. Some other things happened. There were three hours of darkness that happened just after this conversation. And during that time, one does wonder what was happening to the other man. But the Bible doesn't tell us anything about that. That's a bit scary stuff. So, you know, just sharing these beautiful stories and asking God to bring them to life for us. That's what God wants to do. He doesn't want the Bible just to be words on a page. He wants to bring it to life for us. He wants to remind us that this really, really happened. And a man got saved when Jesus died on the cross at the very time it was happening. Even in their very last hours, people have come to know Jesus with no more time to do anything which just tells us, you know, you, you don't want to leave it till then because you don't know when the last hours are going to be. So you don't want to leave it till that time because Jesus is there for us any time. As long as we're alive and breathing, we have a chance to respond to him. And there's many times in life when we need God to do more than what we're asking because he can do what no one else can do. And so many times there's things we're praying for that actually no one but God can do. And maybe you're in a situation like that right now where you're praying for something to do with yourself or maybe something to do with someone else. And you know that God is the one who can answer. And if you're not getting the answers right now, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't let disappointment of what seems to be unanswered prayer stop you from keeping on calling out to God. He wants to give you so much more than what you're asking for. Don't let guilt or shame prevent you from coming to Jesus with whatever need you have. Don't let that happen because he's willing to forgive. And so, you know, those, those guys on the crosses, they were all shamed publicly, publicly shamed and humiliated. But that one man did not let that stop him from turning around, from mocking and calling out to Jesus in that mocking way. Somehow, God got through to him with revelation that changed his plan for eternity. God says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Call to me is your invitation to pray. I will answer you is your reassurance that you will be heard. And being shown great and mighty things is that wonderful answer that comes with revelation. Amen. What a great word. Thanks so much, Jen.